Welcome to the Everesting Podcast, built by Quarry. This episode is featuring Ronan McLaughlin, who, as you may well know, is the Everesting World Record holder. On March 23rd of 2021, Ronan put down a time of 6 hours, 40 minutes, and 54 seconds of Maymore Gap in Ireland, near his home, which is an absolutely remarkable feat. If you have Everested, you know just exactly how fast that sounds. Uh, and it is. And he tells us how he got prepared for it and, and put it together. Uh, pretty fascinating. I've actually spoken to Ronan before. I have interviewed him on the Adventure Audio Podcast with Tyler Hamilton. Ronan is a super, super cool guy. Very, very accessible and a very talented athlete. So we hope that you enjoy this episode. A big thank you to everybody who has tuned into the podcast so far. We really appreciate it. and We appreciate all the positive feedback that we've received. Thank you so much. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by the State Bicycle Company, who you can visit at statebicycle.com. Check them out. Fixed gears, track bikes, single speeds, all road bikes, all kinds of really cool stuff, as well as parts and apparel at statebicycle.com. Thank you again for listening and on to Ronan McLaughlin. Here with Ronan McLaughlin, who is the former and current record holder or Everesting by Bicycle. So uh, full disclosure, we have spoken before. We have, uh, I have interviewed you with my co-host Tyler Hamilton on the Adventure Audio Podcast. So people should give that a listen uh, if they want to hear more about your background and how you got into bike racing and all that stuff, because it's, it's a worthwhile story. and We love hearing those stories. But this conversation will be more about your Everesting record. So I, we were just looking back on that. We, we chatted on April 15th of 2021. And I think at that time, toward the end of that conversation, I asked you if somebody came along and reset the record soon, like, would you, would you go right back at it? And I think you said something along the lines of, if it happens soon, I probably would, because I have a base level of, of fitness that I've done a lot of specific training for and that you would do mm-hmm. it. But now it's been a while. You've been holding <laughs> on to it for a little while here. And I don't I haven't even heard of a time that's been anywhere near it or even an attempt or anything like that. So how how would that how how long would you keep that window open for? Um well uh, first of all I should say that yeah, thanks for having me on the show. It's uh, an honor to be on the, the Everesting podcast. Uh listen to so many podcasts about different Everestings and, and different uh writers and runners attempts at an Everesting. So now to have an everesting podcast, dedicated podcast is, is pretty cool. So yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, Thank you. Secondly, yeah, I think the window is well and truly shut at this stage. <laughs> <laughs> that that fitness lasted, it was a lot more uh, sustainable and lasted a lot longer than I thought it might. Uh, you know, with work this year, I started traveling quite a bit and, you know, was at some of the, you know, at the Tour de France and some of the other big races of the year with, with cycling tips and, yeah, I kind of thought that that might impact the fitness quite quite a lot, but it actually didn't. And at least in terms of how I felt on the bike, you know, in general rides, I, I still felt pretty good. It was still going pretty well. Uh, I think now, had I actually gone out to do an everything, it might have been a different story. But at this stage now, I think the uh, you know it, it would be a case of starting you know way back at at the beginning of a of a training block and, and working back up towards it rather than trying to you know, re-go with, with the fitness that I had back in back in March when I did break the record. So, yeah, unfortunately, if I wanted to go and do it again now, it would be, uh, I think it would be another three-month build-up towards it to, to, to get there. And, um, 
probably should say that you know it, it actually did cross my mind a couple of times since to try and go for it again. Not really so much go for the record, but to to give another to do another Everesting. Uh, there was a couple of reasons that I had sort of thought about giving another go, and then there was a couple of real good days during the summer where it would have just been nice to go out and you know do it with um, you know a few more family and friends about that we were missing the last time because of COVID lockdown. Uh, it would have been nice to do it in but better weather as well, but uh, yeah, never really could quite work out if it was uh, you know to go to go and do it again. Would that be the right thing to do or not? Given that I would almost certainly be slower. Uh, which would sort of take the shine off my last Everesting. Uh, or, you know, on the slim chance that I did happen to actually go faster, uh, would that kind of be a kind of a a, a, a a crappy move to pull and go and break my own record? I don't know, just something about that doesn't seem right either. So, so far I haven't, but I have thought about it quite a bit. So I could, okay, so that's going to split off into a couple of different questions because you sort of beat me to one of them. But so the, to begin with, I, I could understand the temptation, especially if you, because you had a mechanical, like, so there's all, and you obviously have the personality where you're constantly thinking of what you could do better. So even without somebody breaking the record, it's, I think it's quite normal for somebody as competitive as you to think about what else you could do to make it even harder for somebody to get it. So I, that part I get, but I was going to ask you, have you ever thought about just doing a quote unquote normal Everesting self-supported longer, like de a deliberately longer ride because to go to Maymore Gap and do it in eight hours now just sounds like what, like, why would you do that? But what if you did, you know, something that was like a 6% grade and it took 17 hours and it was just for strictly for the, for the adventure of it. Have you thought about that? Um, well, um, I guess to answer your first question first, I um, it, it's never really about setting the record out of sight or or even you know making it harder for someone else to break. It's more just about trying to see what is the best that I can do personally, uh, and that that's you know that that's really what it was all about for me all along. And yeah, sure, the motivation of actually breaking a, a record or or you know setting the record does definitely help. But it, you know the, the I think the bigger motivator for me personally is just how fast can I go. Um, regardless of how fast anybody else goes, because you know, uh, eventually it will be broken by someone, um, and you know, it could well be put so far out of sight that I can't even entertain the idea of of breaking the record. But I might still entertain the idea of going faster than I previously did. Um, and on your uh, second question, <laughs> yes and no, and uh, that it has sort of. The, the idea of everything on an, a different climb has sort of crossed my mind. And there's a couple of, you know, some of the iconic climbs that, you know, wouldn't be conducive to a really fast time, but would just be, you know, it'd be, it'd be nice to say I've done everything on, on that climb has certainly passed my mind. Uh, but I don't know if I'm uh, mentally tough enough to go out there and, and spend 10, 15, 20 hours on a climb. I know you've done your, when we first spoke, you were sort of building up towards your everything and, and you've yeah. done it since. And like a year, everything, if I remember, it was 320 kilometers or something. And I just look at that and go, 324. Yeah. <laughs> I just look yeah, at that and say, Oh my God, that's, I don't, I don't know if I could do, you know, uh, if we picked the climb beside me more gap, which is slightly less steep, it, it might work out the same distance. I, I don't know if I can do that. Yeah, it might be a, a good challenge to try, but I'm, I'm not sure if I have the motivation to work 
uh, towards that because yeah, that's just you know when I when I look at that, I say okay, take everything, everything I know about that, how difficult and everything is, and then add an extra two hundred kilometers onto my everything. Now two hundred kilometers on its own is a heck of a big day on a bike, uh, but then you know be going up and down the same climb and climbing the eight thousand eight hundred forty eight meters. That's uh, you know that my my hat comes off to that because that is uh, that is a, a big big ask I think. It's a it is a it, it's an adventure into your own psyche. <laughs> it's, it definitely I've, is. I've I've done you know and I guess this is what makes everything so special. I've done eighteen nineteen hour rides um, in ultra endurance races before, but you know that that's uh, I would say that's somewhat easier than uh, an eighteen or nineteen hour. Everesting. Uh, obviously, I, I haven't done it, so I can't tell for sure. But I, I can imagine that uh, that that's that's part of the challenge, isn't it? It's you know, it, it's it's just so difficult. Exactly. Well, and what's cool about it is they're each, even if it's on the same climb, it's not the same Everesting, right? If it's two different people on two different days, so each one has its mm-hmm. own unique fingerprint, right? So it's very, very, it's a very, very cool and unique challenge that way. For sure, yeah. You know, there's there's everything from you know, obviously the biggest factor is just weather conditions, and um, while you're unlikely to start if it was uh, something like I can see out my window today, which is gale force winds and freezing temperatures, uh, but a uh, sleet and snow mixed in there, probably not a great day for everything. But you know, even you know, from wind direction to uh, temperature to you know, even if it is just raining on and off, that can you know, one lap that rain shower might be. Uh, like a godsend, and you're thinking, "Oh, that's so nice, just a bit of you know, uh, so refreshing." And then the next lap, you might be thinking, "Oh, this rain, it's horrible." <laughs> so, it's uh, yeah, it can change. You know, even within a single everything, I think it can change from lap to lap. Definitely, and or things that on a regular bike ride would be small become so magnified and multiplied, right? So it could be a little bit of rain, and maybe now my descent is taking me fifteen percent longer times. Mm-hmm. 100 or i think 76 in your case right so these things get get they just get expanded you know unintentionally like to be a little break or something like that so that was actually one of the things that i i really focused on for for the for the ever things i've done is that if you even just think about it you've got two turns one at the bottom one at the top and if you know, if you take a second longer in each of those turns, it adds up to almost three minutes at, at the end of the, the end of the day. So that you know that that just shows you how on my lap because as you said, I was doing seventy six of them. Um, you know, it, it's not long and and adding up a second here, a second there. Uh, when we're talking about you know going as fast as possible, that that can make a difference. And I think uh, if I was to go and do you know and everything on on a different climb and just sort of as you said, take it a bit more relaxed and enjoy it. I think it would still sort of keep an eye on those because, um, yeah, not not counting the seconds, but certainly you know that any time you stop, that's adding more time to it, and you have to keep going again. And and yes, certainly there will be you know a benefit to the stop and the recovery and the rest, but then there's also the knock-on side effect that you're just going to be out there for longer. And I'm I'm a firm believer in the less time you have to spend on the mountain, uh, the less time you have to suffer on the mountain. So uh, yeah, you also just reduce, you reduce the odds of something going wrong. I mean, it's like, there's a, there's a reason why insurance companies, if something takes less time, they charge you less money because there's less risk involved, right? Anytime there's less of something, if there's less square footage in your home, your insurance is lower. Like 
anytime there's less of something, there's less risk involved. So the conceptually, the shorter your Everesting is, you, the, A, the fewer problems that should potentially occur, or B, mm. you know, it's, it should be conceivably safer. But, mm. um, and uh, just because, like, now that I've done one, there's zero guarantees that I can complete another one. You, I could try three more times and not complete it because there's so many things that can undo you potentially, right? <laughs> that, that's, a, you know, on paper, it seems so simple. You just go up and down this single hill until you reach the cumulative height of Mount Everest. But when you actually get out there, there's any number of things that, you know, might not go perfectly on the day. And, and what I would say and what I, you know, did say to my team that were helping me and said to myself on countless occasions was, at some point during this ride, something is going to go wrong. And it's just understanding that from the start that there is no such thing as, you know, the, the perfect ride or the perfect everything at some point, you, you know, it's just such a long, uh, grueling event that at some point, whether it be a puncture or, uh, you know, my earphone from the music fell out after an hour or something, or, you know, the, this, the, the backup set of earphones wouldn't pair with my watch to play the music. And you know, there, there will be something along the way uh, in the everything before that. I um, can't remember exactly what it was, but in every, every ultra endurance event or everything that I've done, there will be at some point that, that something goes wrong. And, and you've, you've sort of got two ways you can deal with that. You can sort of start looking at the negatives and saying, you know, why has this happened or, you know, try, starting to dwell on it for too long, or you can, and that, that's why I remind myself in advance, or you can try to sort of tell yourself, this is part of the challenge. This is what you're, you're here to overcome. And when you've got that sort of mindset ingrained before you start, it's much easier to overcome whatever that one thing will be that does go wrong and, and keep pushing forward and, um, and, and, and getting to the end. And, you know, yes, climbing the hill and the, the endurance of the challenge are the, the main aspects, but there's also, I firmly believe, just that aspect of having to overcome what you, you can't even plan for. Uh, you know, what, 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 whatever small thing might go wrong that you couldn't even envisage. Um, th those, those are the challenges that get thrown at you during everything as well. And just overcoming those makes it all that more special when you, when you do reach that finish line. That is awesome advice. It really is. It is part of the journey, right? Like to come up with those. So, so it, to me, it's akin to like doing a hundred mile trail race, like those types of things that, you know, it's just going to be, you're going to be scared. It's going to be dark. There's going to be all these things beyond the actual physical challenge that happened to you that you need to deal with. So now how early into your awareness of Everesting did you think, I bet I could do that really, really fast. Um, I think after Relatively I did my first really <laughs> uh, the, the difficulty in answering that question is that I can't quite remember exactly when I first uh, heard of Everesting. Uh, I know it was a while ago and it's been something that I've been thinking about for a few years. Um, and I also know that as soon as the, the pandemic hit in March 2020, or at least hit Ireland in March 2020, it was one of the first things I thought of turning my fitness towards because I was in good shape at that time and I wanted to use it for something. Uh, ultimately, I decided not to do it right then um, just because of local lockdowns and, and you know restrictions on how far you could uh, travel on that. Um, so yeah, I was I was definitely aware of it long before I actually did my first ever thing in July of 2020. Um, and then, I, you know, I, I genuinely went into that first one 
just hoping to break the 10 hour barrier uh, at the time that would have got me the Irish uh, Eversting record, um, which yeah, would have been more than enough for me. Uh, and then, you know, I ended up doing eight hours something. Yeah, uh, forgive me, I can't remember the exact time, time now, but I did eight hours something, um, had taken a few precautions in that ride and sort of when I sat down and two days afterwards and had stopped saying I would never do it again and started looking at the, <laughs> the file for it. Uh, I sort of realized there, there and then that, yeah, I could have went a heck of a lot faster. And I think I uh, reached out to a friend of mine and says, uh, don't laugh, but I'm fairly sure I can beat Contador's Everesting record. Of course, he did laugh. <laughs> but uh, It sounds like a crazy sentence, right? Yeah, I, I was sort of, uh, <clears throat> I think even, you know, even going to do that Everesting where I eventually, you know, where first broke Contador's record, I, I didn't really believe it myself and didn't want to say it out loud, but I had to tell him that because I needed a land of his lightweight wheels uh, or durious wheels, but they're you know, light, lighter weight. Uh, so yeah, I had to tell him why I was asking for the wheels, but yeah, the the thought of saying that out loud that I thought I could break Condor's record was just sort of ludicrous at the time. So, um, I, you know, I, I, it was definitely, it wasn't until after that first time I did everything I went, oh, actually I could, I could do, Quite, I could I could go quite a lot faster and do quite well at this this challenge and yeah there's nothing else to do at the moment so I may as well give it a go and you know looking back to that first everything as I said it was generally just trying to break ten hours that I would have been I would have been more than happy with sub ten hours um, and and the reason for thinking that was because although I'd made all these calculations and could work out what time I thought I could do as you're just going into the unknown and so far into the unknown that. You, you don't you, or you can't really believe uh, or at least I couldn't really put too much weight in, in what the sort of calculations were, were telling me uh, and you know again you're sort of saying well this could go wrong or that could go wrong or I've you know is it even, my big question was is it even possible to write up in a more gap that many times in one go uh, because it is so steep at the top that that was a genuine so question for me <laughs> so yeah that that's you know and until you've until I did it the first time I, I i genuinely had no idea that it might actually go go um as well as it did so then you borrowed the wheels and you broke contador's record i i also hacksawed off half my handlebars and made a couple of other hacks but <laughs> yeah uh, long story short borrowed the wheels and, and broke broke contador's record at the time as i recall there was also some customized diy gear changes or uh, yeah. it's a better way to put it yeah, I'd looked at that first everything and sort of said, well, I, because I'd on an electronic group set, I could see, well, I only used three gears for the whole climb, so why carry the rest of them? So, yeah, uh, when I was trying to make the bike as light as possible for the second everything, yeah, the, the gears that I wasn't going to use, it didn't seem like much sense to, to actually carry them uh, on the climb. So that was the first time that you're the world record holder, but that was for a short period of time. That was quite short, yes. Yeah. Sean Gardner came along. I, so I, I broke the record on 30th of July, uh, and Sean Gardner came along early October on his second Everesting. Uh, he had done one a couple of weeks or a month earlier, I think. Uh, and yeah, he, he went faster than I did. He was uh, six hours 59, I believe. So first person under seven hours, which is quite an achievement. Uh, and yeah, that was... Uh, that was actually, I think, a blessing in disguise because, uh, yeah, I, I had, you know, I had the ambition to try and go sub seven hours, 
Um, and, you know, between winter closing in in Ireland, uh, local lockdowns coming in for, you know, coronavirus restrictions, uh, it meant that I couldn't get doing it in September, October of last year to try and, you know, go faster than what I already currently had and, and get under seven hours. Uh, but what it meant, you know, by, you know, it wasn't that I was fixated on it or obsessed with it, but by not having the record over the winter probably helped me motivation a bit and kept help me keep the head down and you know when you know i spent plenty of hours on the indoor trainer last winter and um you know not having the record it probably made it easier to train and dedicate myself to getting the record than having the record and and, and trying to you know beat my own time and you know i, I did say earlier that it, it wasn't so much about breaking the record but it, it definitely did you know it definitely does add a bit of motivation there if you're if you're you know, you're you're trying to be the best that you can be and uh, take back a, a world record. Yeah, fair enough. So I I was wondering and wanted to ask you what you would think if somebody showed up at Waymore Gap to do a record attempt. And actually, I don't even know if anybody's ever, ever stood on it even before or since, or I know, you, I know nobody did before. I don't know if anybody has since, um, but I was... I, I wondered about that because there's a finite number of hills that are suitable for a record attempt, right? Yeah, uh, there's definitely at least um, one other person. Uh, and I'm taking a bit of a mind blank on the spot here, but I was on site for another Everesting on the same side of Memorial Gap that I used. A friend of mine, Sean McFadden, did one there um, just shortly after I, I did mine last year. And then the the opposite side, the northern side of the hill, has been used for an Everesting also. And although it's got steeper pitches, it has uh, a lot more technical descent. Uh, so it wouldn't be sort of it wouldn't be ideal for an Ever for a record attempt, but it'd be a pretty challenging uh, Everesting climb given that it is it's actually steeper than the side I used right at the very top. And uh, so yeah, that that would be uh, an interesting climb to to try it on. But as for others using the climb i certainly would have no issue with it i know at least uh i, I know at least someone has tried to go for the world record on the war gap since since i used it and i sort of uh yeah personally i i i kind of you know and and I, I, first of all, I have no issue with that whatsoever. That's that's uh, you know, and, and even if I did, does it matter? <laughs> but I guess uh, not. I, I think it's just for me. I, I look at it in a real positive way, and that you know, it's 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 pretty special to have. You know, if, if it does turn out to be uh, one of the one of the the, the best possible roads for it, for Everesting record attempt, I just think it's pretty damn cool to have that. Uh, you know, local to ourselves and. And something that the you know the area that I'm from um, has to you know to be to be sort of uh, proud of I guess or you know or if I've played any small part on on putting Memoir Gap on on the world stage then yeah and I'm personally you know delighted to have been able to to do that and you know it was it was certainly in Ireland and certainly in cycling it was pretty famous before I ever started going up and down it um, right. you know it, it is you know renowned for being one of the steepest roads in, in Ireland the, the Tour of Ireland and the the uh, the Ross which is another sort of um, uh, tour, uh, you know international stage racer in Ireland both both used to climb uh, so and and it's on the wild Atlantic way and yeah it's it's well known and you know for it to be you know, so closely associated now with everything, I think is, 
I'm, I'm, I'm if, if, if I'm any, well, I guess I am a bit responsible for that, but yeah, I'm pretty, pretty proud to have done that. <laughs> I, I think it's super cool. Like it would be impossible for me or I think anybody who listens to this podcast to be anywhere near that area and not go and ride it. We would just need to, right? Yeah, which, which I think is, so. Which is super cool. Yeah. Uh, and even, you know, as I said myself many times, that, that was why it was sort of, yes, I recognized that it was an ideal road for everything, but it was also, you know, the, the, the there's a couple of other climbs locally I could have tried it on as well, but just that one was so, was so special, you know, having started cycling and, and the challenge being just to get up at once to come back then and do it 76 times, you know, it was, uh, you know, it was almost like a full circle on my, my cycling journey. And I know for a lot of other people locally as well, when you get into cycling, you know, part of the, one of the, one of the big questions when you, when you start out is, have you ever cycled up a more gap? Uh, that, that, you know, so that has that, and it's part of uh, my local cycling club, Ford Cycling Club's annual sportif, uh, or sort of, you know, a, a leisure ride, the, the NHO 100 scenic route. Uh, it, it tackles my more gap pretty early on in the ride as well on the same direction that I did it. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's one that's sort of well known throughout Ireland, uh, certainly in cycling circles and, um, you know, pe- people do when they come to this area, just, you know, on holidays or whatever, you know, they quite often go out and try and, and ride, ride Memore Gap as well. Like, so it's, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty, pretty good challenge. And, uh, yeah, it's pretty, pretty nice to think that it's on, on the world, world stage now in terms of everything. And, the one thing I did find kind of funny was that a, a few people who had mentioned going for the record or, um, you know, come to try it on one more gap had said to me, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about doing it, but I'm thinking of using your road. And I'm like, it's not, it's not my road. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, I happened to do an everything there and it went pretty, pretty well for me, but it's uh, certainly open, open for anybody to use. And uh, I'd be pretty excited now if, if people did start coming and trying to, you know, it'd be bittersweet in that, you know, if I lost a record, so yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to be delighted or, you know, jumping up and down for joy that I've lost a world record. But at the same time, it would be pretty nice to think that it was done locally to myself and that, you know, this this road that is, uh, you know, just, just down, just across, the, the you know, o- over the hills from where I live uh, is now a, a place where people consider breaking a world record. That That's pretty cool to think. There's there's a whole bunch of areas in the in the world that just don't work for a world record attempt. They just don't. So now the beauty of Everesting itself is, like Andy says, you can do it on a driveway if you want to. Right? You can do it anywhere, and that's really really cool. But for speed, it really gets narrowed down pretty fast to a certain type of gradient and distance because there are a lot of very very steep but very very short hills that would involve three or four hundred turns right like a lot of suburban mm-hmm. ones and stuff so that just doesn't work so but maybe gap seems almost made for it it's it's a good balance of steepness uh it's obviously almost perfectly straight which is a big uh, factor in when you're when you're trying to do a fast everything uh and it's also you know it's just the right length that yes you've got 76 turns to do but it, you know it's not uh it's not ridiculous i did look at some other climbs that would have been slightly steeper and still straight but they would have had you know two or three times as many turns which which obviously slows you down but i sort of think of it as like if you if you think of the hour record on on the track there's there's probably thousands of eldromes on the planet but there's only right. a few that people go to to try and break uh the hour record you know a- anybody who wants to you know set a personal best for 60 minutes can do it on any track but you know you've got the likes of Dowsett, Camping Arts, uh, you know uh, quite a few riders seemingly now 
deciding that Aguas Calientes in Mexico is the place to go. And I think Memoir Gap similar that <laughs> perhaps it, it it could be, well, it definitely can be broke elsewhere. But, um, you know, if, if you're looking for somewhere that has had a record broken on it and, you, you know, is sort of ideal or conducive to doing a good time at least, uh, then it's certainly one place to consider. I love that there are, it's already becoming that there are iconic places to do an Everesting, right? And then, and then I think that there'll be iconic places within those really fast attempts. Obviously, Maymore Gap will be one of them. Mount Donabuang in Australia is obviously an iconic location because that's the first, well, that's sort of ground zero for it with, um, with uh, George Mallory. So mm -hmm. really, really cool. Um, the only other thing that I wondered to myself that we haven't talked about yet is, do you think people could go faster if they were actually racing each other? Like if there was multiple people on the same hill going for it? I'm, I'm not sure. I know that, uh, you know, it, it has been, it has been mentioned to me, would you fancy doing a two up and yes. Has it? Of, yeah. I, I, that's pretty cool. I, I certainly, you know, I, I, I the idea is pretty cool, uh, and I, you know, at, at the time I, you know, had to sort of go and do it myself again, just to, as as I said so many times, to, to do my own best and see what my own personal best was. Um, but you know, it, it's, it, it, I think it would certainly be more difficult. You you may well end up in faster, but mentally it would be very tough. I know the uh, the when I when I first broke the, the world record and Contador's Everest record, my second Everesting. Uh, I had one lap or maybe two laps where I had a rider right alongside me and I found those the most difficult. Uh, and, you know, it, it was nothing about the person riding alongside me. It was nothing, you know, there, there was nothing really to suggest that they should have been harder, but it was just, I was, you know, right on the limit going as hard as I, you know, within reason, as hard as I could sustain for, seven hours i guess was the there was the pace i was was holding and just having someone alongside me i don't i don't think it would have mattered if they were going faster or slower than me or talking or silent or, or what it just i you know i find it so much more difficult having somebody alongside me and when i looked at it afterwards it actually turned out those are my two slowest laps um really? and yeah just you know there was nothing to suggest that there was nothing that should have slowed me down but you know it just for some reason it did it was it was completely a mental thing you know it wasn't it wasn't a it wasn't a physical thing or it wasn't that they you know uh, uh, affected my pacing or something it just I, I really because i was going so deep and so focused on the effort uh, i found that those two laps really really difficult even though they were the most even though they were the slowest um but you know the flip side of that is that when i did my first everest thing and i was just trying to complete the challenge I had countless laps where people rode alongside me and, you know, we talked the whole way up and I really enjoyed that. Uh, but that was, you know, obviously I was going at a much easier pace and it was all, it was more about enjoying it rather than uh, right. completing the challenge and it was about uh, going as fast as possible. So I, you know, I, I certainly, it, it would be, it'd be a nice challenge and it would, it would certainly probably Entice me to do another everything more so than you know as we spoke about earlier, just doing uh, an everything slower than I've done previously. But at the same time, I, I think it you know I, I, as I said to the person who had asked me, I was like, yeah, that sounds good, open to the idea. 
at the time I needed to do my thing first, but uh, it. it well, you know, it does sound horrible uh, having having <laughs> having having done one of these yeah. things. Uh, the thought of doing a two up time trial version of it, uh, yeah, just it it, uh, it it sounds very very tough, especially <laughs> grueling. It sounds like so, a charity event. Uh, yeah, like as I said, it's another it's another challenge. <laughs> it's think. another it's another aspect of the. Or it's another. It's adding in an extra challenge, which which you know is probably the part of it that that does attract me to it. Um, as for your question, if you had people racing alongside each other, I'm not sure. I, I I think that would probably end up being slower. You know, to actually go back and answer your question. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> but I think I think it might actually end up being slower because pacing is so important, and and with riders racing against each other, I think yes, the opening laps might be faster. Or the opening right. hours might be faster, but in the long run, you probably would um, have people pay the price for going too hard to it. And it'd be really interesting to see if someone was very stringent on their pacing and you know rode at their tempo that they knew they could sustain. Would they, you know, they they would probably get lapped in the opening hours, but could could right. they make it up and, and end up going faster in the long run? It, it'd be it'd be an interesting spectacle. It would be. I would love to spectate. On it, I mean, it would be fascinating. <laughs> yes, it would be a fascinating that's, drama to watch unfold. Yeah, sure. that, that's probably what I should have said. Yeah, uh, I would probably uh, prefer to spectate it than actually participate in it. That's fair. And then just we we didn't cover this the actual statistics of your of your Everesting. So tell us exactly how steep is Maymore Gap on average? How how long is it? We know we, you did seventy six laps. I think you nailed the elevation right at eighty eight forty eight, uh, um, not a meter more. Well, no, I'd I'd done an extra couple of laps just to be just to be sure. Even though I'd done it three times, you would think that I would know. But uh, yeah, just something made me go on and do an extra couple of laps just to be, you know, as we've seen with you know with Lachlan Martin and a couple of others who are not even a couple. Yeah. Of them, but Lachlan, I think Lachlan Martin's the most the most famous example where he had just come up what one lap short or something, and and it wasn't enough. Um, so yeah, I did I did a few extra just to be sure. As for the exact, just pulling it up here just to refresh my memory because uh, I wasn't uh, not exactly certain now off the top of my head. It's been so long since I've been over there. But um, so the Everesting segment, I think I used is um, a more Everesting take two, uh, it being the shorter version of the second, third time. The average gradient was 14.2. And the maximum, I think, is something like 23, 24%, right at the very top. Um, so, and then, in, in, yeah, 800 meters or something is the length of the segment. And it, it's got an elevation gain of 117 meters in that. So, yeah, and, and around that in the, uh, in, in each, each lap. So it's, um, yeah, it's. Wow, that is steep. Like conversely, my Everesting Hill was 1.4 kilometers and 81 meters. So another uh, 600, so, uh, 600 meters in length and it's only 81 meters per ascent. So mm-hmm. like that's, that's brutal. And you were, for everybody who has a coach and receives workouts and intervals of with the, with the wattage and a time. So if you, if your were if your Everesting came to somebody in the form of the way that a coach would write it, what would those what would those intervals look like? They'd be hundred something watts for how many for how long times seven? Um, well, uh, I could I could pull it up here and get you some uh, exact figures. Uh, it, it would uh, so 
if it was to come in a you know training um, session form, it would look like seventy six times four minutes efforts with uh, one minute recovery between each, and <laughs> most of them would be around three twenty, three thirty, three forty watts. So seventy six times four minutes at three thirty, you could probably average it out at. Yeah, if I so, receive that email from my coach, I would immediately <laughs> delete it. If anybody does receive that email from their coach, just <laughs> Im immediately sack that coach because that is a <laughs> Yeah, that that's not yeah. something. Even you know, even training for the Everest, I, I never did anything like that. Perhaps you know, I, I maybe should have done more four minute repeats, but um, that I certainly didn't do anything like that in in training. You know, I just focused on building the the engine rather than actually focusing on the specifics of the event and you know we, we quite wow. often hear about uh tailoring your training to the specifics of the event and that does serve its purpose but you know i, I kind of look at this the same way as ultra endurance racing and that and that you can't actually simulate the event in so you're almost better just focusing on developing the engine as much as possible which is which is the approach that i took to it and it could could you know perhaps uh, different ways would work better for for other people but it certainly seemed to work okay for myself what one more interesting piece you might find sure. is the the two the two safety laps so uh, i just did two extra as we we're saying just to be sure um and the the wattage for those was much less it was 270 and 250. <laughs> so uh yeah it begs the question again why did i even do them but um yeah there we go yeah but you can see how you've given yourself a mental permission right yeah like yeah to exactly. take the, yeah 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 it's amazing it's amazing how when a finish line gets moved on you, how you can just like, right, people swear that they gave everything they had, but if the finish line had been whatever you're doing, had just a little bit farther, you would have found it, right? You would have found that last little bit. Yeah, so. they, someone uh, said that about um, Chris Boardman's athlete hour record, uh, where he was trying to break Eddie Merckx's record and he eventually broke it by 10 meters, I think. And uh, I think it was Josh Portner on the, on the Marginal Gains podcast that said, he believed had it been 10 meters further again, Boardman still would have beat it by 10 meters. You know, you, the, the mind does this crazy thing where you, you just know exactly what you have to do. You know, it's probably impossible, but you find a way to get those 10 meters. Uh, and, you know, had it been you know, 10 meters less, Boardman probably only would have been capable of 10 meters less as well. So it's, it's interesting how the mind works. Yeah, I think that's a great point. So, where can everybody find you on podcasts, re-regular writing work, and uh, on social media? Podcasts, uh, most often find me on the Cycling Tips regular podcast weekly. Um, I'm, I'm not part of the regular crew, but I'm on there fairly often, especially during the racing season. Uh, you'll also find me sometimes on the Nerd Alert podcast, and the best place to find me is on cyclingtips.com for my, uh, well, pretty much Nearly every day you'll find something from me there. Uh, and myself all things personally. Tech. All things tech, yeah. So I'm a tech writer with Cycling Tips. So um, anything, yeah, techy related, new bikes, new releases, new parts. Uh, at the moment, uh, yeah, working on some indoor stuff, which might have been uh, might have been more suited to last year when I was training for the Everesting. This year, without the Everesting to train for, my, my indoor training motivation isn't quite as high. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Ronan, thank you for doing this. I really appreciate your time. Thanks again. Thank you again, everybody, for listening. 
Thank you to Rona McLaughlin, thank you to Quarry, and thank you to the State Bicycle Company. We will be back next week.